The Tuesday Club with Sean, Kyle and Shane. Hello, welcome to the Tuesday Club. Me, Sean Holly. We've got Kyle Reese and the one and only Shane Williams, who made his debut last week on the Tuesday Club. Thanks for joining us again. Still in the top 10 of the podcast charts for rugby. Yes, we're even in the US top 10 for rugby podcasts. But not a lot of competition, but they are starting to get the hang of it out there. Um, boys, what a start last week it was for Shane Lewis Reese Ahmed. Uh, did you enjoy it, boy? Yeah, look, he's he's living up to the hype, isn't he? And he's doing it the right way. I think, um, you know, speaking to him, you could see that he's chomping at the bit. He wants to be in that Welsh team. He thinks he's ready for it. And if he keeps doing what he's doing for Gloucester week in, week out, then who's to say he's not right? Um, what I like about him is that the fact he's he's on the bench, isn't he? He's yeah. on the bench. It's not a nice place to be. You want to be out in the field. You know, you're 18, 19 years of age. You're chomping at the bit. And then he just comes on, scores a try, does the business, and has a cracker. And I think that's a sign of a good player for me. That's a sign of someone who will, you know, he'll wait for his time to come. And when he has an opportunity, he takes it. So, um, you know, get that red jersey on him, for God's sake. <laughs> Kyle, you were, uh, you were banging the drum long before with his early form in the Gallagher Premiership. But uh, having met him now, for a young lad, a lot of confidence. Yeah, I was, uh, the other thing that quite surprised me as well is how level-headed he was, how mature he was. And I remember me when I was 19, and I was never that mature. I couldn't speak as well as he spoke, and to be an ambassador for such an important charity as well. But um, no, it's like Shane said, you know, he, he's doing the business on the field, whether he's coming off the bench, whether he's starting a game. Um, could he be the next Shane Williams? We're yet to see. Um, I don't think there'll be another he, Shane Williams. But... He may too tall. <laughs> he's, he's too tall and he's too good looking he is good looking he hasn't got he's the got rugged all the git. he hasn't <laughs> got the rugged garnet look that you've got my man <laughs> especially with that peak cap you wear then what's going on what's what's the choice uh, of wears today then mate talk us well, through it I, um, Paul Shelley is the company they sent it to me so I don't usually wear baseball hats but I was wearing a red top today also um, a top a Canadian top I played against Canada back in Oh six, so it's oh, the oldest rugby top I've got, really. Was that Canada under twelves? Was it, mate? <laughs> Why? Because it fits. You're looking ripped there. Playing for Ireland, uh, for for Canada, that's for sure. But no, like uh, yeah. So I thought it'd be nice to wear it, and it goes with a with a hat as well. So um, thank you very much, Paul Shirley, for sending that to me. Listen, thanks to all our listeners and followers for uh, downloading and. Uh, tuning in to last week's episode we've got a number of great guests we've got a new dimension obviously with Shane coming on board we've got some great guests coming up from the entertainment world I'm sure all you Outlander fans will be pleased with that but we also got some fantastic rugby guests and that's important because rugby's back um, Shane and I have been back on the TV and um, there's some announcements made last week about the autumn series obviously the finish off of the Six Nations Wales playing Scotland we can't win anything um, but also this new Nations Cup, Shane, were involving two leagues where now Georgia replaced Japan because of COVID, Fiji are in there. But we've got England and Ireland in the same group, so uh, should be some interesting games there. Yeah, we're in another group of death, aren't we? Huh? Let's be honest. <laughs> and the Georgians aren't going to be a pushover. In fact, out of all those games, the Georgian game will be the most physical and, and demanding on the players' bodies. But... Um, 
yeah, look, like you say, we, we've still got the six nations to finish, believe it or not, um, in, in, you know, in, at the end of the year. Uh, so the Scotland game is very important for Wayne Pivak and his boys. Um, we can't win the Six Nations. Definitely not a Grand Slam on the cards. So, you know, I, that says to me, look, for Wayne Pivak now, he's got nothing to lose, has he? Of course, we don't want to lose against Scotland, but it's a chance to bring in some players that have been playing particularly well for their clubs and regions. And, you know, um, as they say, take a punt, really. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that game. But, yeah, you know, you've got Georgia, uh, you've got Ireland as well in England. It's it's tough. It is tough, but we want to see international rugby, don't we? Yeah. And um, to get it back, and we, we we love watching Wales. We love, you know, the the ups. We have to go with the downs. Unfortunately, when you're Welsh, there's plenty of both. <laughs> um, and you know, who, again, who knows what's going to happen in the in the near future? But I'm I'm excited for the rugby to come back. Um, you know, we, we're nearly on next season as well, aren't we? Ready yeah. to go. So it's. It's going to be a, a, an overload of rugby very soon. I can't wait. Well, I, yeah, for one, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, like I said to Sean a couple of weeks ago, being put in a group with Ireland and England, but then again, we play them every year in the Six Nations anyway, so you know, this, there's not much of a difference there. But obviously, on to this week's podcast today, we've got a brilliant guest lined up. We have got a big, big director, Hollywood standard director, is Mr. Stephen Wolfenden joining us on the Tuesday Club. Hello, welcome back to the Tuesday Club with me, Sean Hawley and Shane Williams. As I just mentioned, we've got an incredible guest on today. It is the one and only Hollywood director and a mentor of mine in work, Stephen Wolfenden. How's it going, Steve? Fantastic. Lovely to be here. Hi, Steve. <laughs> Hiya. How's it going, mate? What, what, what are you up to? I can see you're in a, a very nice little studio sort of thing there. What's going on? What are you up to? Well, we are at uh, Warner Brothers Leavesden. Um, I've uh, I've put hats on the wall behind me so you can't see any secret things about our plans. Uh, but I'm, I'm working as the second unit director on Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them 3. And uh, we started uh, filming again about two weeks ago. We were suspended on the, like, the 16th of March. Um, but filming has started and uh, it's all go. Uh, but we're on the same site as Batman. We're on the same site as uh, a series called Pennyworth and Avenue 5. So there are four productions navigating uh, a tricky COVID exercise here. And, and as you've probably heard, Batman have been troubled with the virus. Uh, we've had a few positives as well. We all get, we all get tested uh, two or three times a week. We all have different entrances into the studio. There's not much sort of cross-pollination. So it's a very expensive and complicated exercise. But we are filming. We have Jude Dore on set, Eddie Redmayne on set. Um, we're doing some of the, the early scenes with them. And then uh, the cast get bigger, the sequences get bigger, and we'll be shooting right the way through to February. I, uh, sorry, I heard a rumour that it was actually Batman that started COVID-19. Is that true? <laughs> it could be. It could be. In yeah. China. All oh, right. Okay. The Chinese Batman. <laughs> Steve, obviously, we've we, on the podcast we get lots of different people from our industry: directors, makeup artists, actors. What has it been like since everything was shut down for you as a director? Obviously, nobody's been doing everything, anything. But now, obviously, you're back in work. What are the differences, and how have you coped since everything's started? Really, 
Well, the, the first part of lockdown was absolutely a blanket lockdown, and and that was you know frightening for people and scary, and 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 people couldn't see a way out of it. And then you know the building blocks of solutions started started coming through, and um, you know by mid June to July we knew that we'd be filming again this year, which in March nobody thought we'd be filming anything again this year. So you know a lot of work has been put into making it a as safe as an environment as possible. Um, I was lucky during lockdown. I was uh, I filmed a series in Dublin for three and a half months after Outlander, um, and I had some post production on that. So I was doing two or three day weeks in July and a bit in August um, to to finish that off. So Soho got going again. I could sit in the room with cast members and do dialogue recordings and final mixes and, and music mixes. And so it, it hasn't been a completely blank space for me. Is there like a, a streamlined set of people behind the scenes, Steve? I mean, you know, Kyle t- always talks about runners and uh, assistant producers, editors, um, makeup artists, all that sort of stuff. Have you had to streamline the number of people on set? Uh, definitely. Um, there's a there's a whole sort of uh, um, lanyard system. Here you go. Here's, here's a here's a lanyard with a Warner Brothers. Um, dispenser of uh, uh, <laughs> that is and, cool um and uh, red means you can go onto the set um green means you're part of the production but you need special permission to get onto the set um and rainbow uh, you get a rainbow one when you're um working with the cast on the set uh, i haven't been shooting today so I, I don't have one of those but the the rainbow ones are uh are given out every day to a very very small number of people. So yeah, it, it, it's definitely a uh, it's a it's a new world order that we live in on set. But uh, the craft is still there, the energy is still there. It just gets a bit hot in a mask all day, and you have to find the mask that works for you. Um, and those lights, you know, those lights are still very hot. And uh, uh, but the cast are reacting really well, and um, you know we're getting it done. We're, we're really getting it done. It's something that I've been thinking about, obviously, from working together last year. Shows like Outlander, where, you know, on set, we've got anywhere from 250 to 300 people working. And especially last year, when there were all those battle scenes that we shot, lots of people in close environment. How how do you think these sorts of shows that need these amounts of people there, what, what are they going to do? It, it's just tricky. We're definitely limiting the number of extras that we have on our big street scenes. We've got lots of backlot space here. Um, and where you'd have uh, two or three hundred, we are uh, having less than a hundred. Um, and then we're going to work digitally with um, some solutions and we're going to work in, in different ways of using the camera to, to make it look as busy as possible. The other thing that we're doing is we're, we're learning um, how to test people quickly. And so we're creating small bubbles within within the day. We can we can test a number of people high speed here, uh, and I think very soon that will become um, uh, the sort of normal working practice when we need a, a bunch of people who have been out of a bubble to to come into our bubble. But it, it is really really tricky, and and the crowd scenes are the thing, and we haven't done any of those yet. Uh, we are just merely on the smaller interiors at the moment. Uh, crowd scenes in about three weeks time. So it's it's still being worked on. It's tough for everyone, yeah. isn't it? I mean, um, yeah. 
you know, Shane and I obviously working in rugby. We've had the Guinness Pro 14 semi-finals and finals uh, before this podcast. It's difficult, Shane, isn't it, for not just the, the us in the production of the TV, but, um, you know, you've got in excess of 50 players and coaches gathered together, you know, in bubbles. It's a bit tenuous, isn't it? It, it, it is. I, I, I was really interested that the NFL last night the, um, at the Arrowhead Stadium, they had 13,000 in an 80,000 stadium, which which is a bit of a risk, you know, Compared to where they are now in in terms of the virus, it's it's a bit tricky, I think. What? Can I can I ask Steve? Do you know when when you were younger, right? When I was in school, teachers always said I had hell of an imagination. I don't know if that meant that I said a lot of fibs and porky pies. I don't know. But <laughs> were you the same as as a kid? You must have had hell of an imagination to to get into the business you're in now. And you look at some of the films you've worked on. You know, obviously like Fantastic Beasts at the moment, uh, the Detective Pikachu, which I watched last week actually, and I didn't think. I would enjoy as much as I did, uh, awesome. and obviously the Harry Potter and um, Deathly Hallows too. These some of these films are quite dark and mysterious. You know, how do you how? Where's all that come from? Where's all that imagination come from with you? Um, it's definitely um, from um, sort of family. Uh, my parents were involved in the theatre. Um, it's definitely from uh, reading. Um, and it's definitely from watching a lot of films um, and getting getting my hands on a on a camera quite early. Um, so it was it was a combination of those things and um, seeing quite a few plays um, and and getting really really interested in in actors as well uh, and and getting to know that they are really really weird and wonderful and interesting people um, and but they're not too scary. They're actually very approachable and they want to talk about what they want to do and they want to experiment with what they want to do. So, uh, yeah, I wasn't really an artist, um, but I was um, I was interested in the whole drama of it and what made me scared as well. Um, you know, there were still some horror films that I saw when I was younger that I, I, I still I still think are the best horror films ever. Like for me, Halloween is is amazing, but Poltergeist. Poltergeist, yeah. <laughs> made in 1984. With, he sat with in Harvey. front of the TV and she was there, just, just a fuzzy oh. TV screen. Caroline, so, Caroline. <laughs> so, so simple. I know. I've got this real fear of clowns. And that's the one oh. with the clowns under the bed, isn't it? Yeah. That's just, that's just god awful. I don't hang know on, mate. You're, you're mates with Mike Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I played with a few clowns since, but uh, yeah, I, I, something like that stays with you forever, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, what a film! What a yeah, film. off the yeah. back of the, off the back of Shane's question, um, here's a, a tenuous link. But uh, he talks about imagination. So in rugby, as a coach and a player, you uh, have a sense of imagery. So if you're training, i.e., rehearsing, some players and coaches see things from their own eyes they imagine things like they're on the field so if i'm if i'm coaching something on the field i imagine it from the eyes of the player as i see it on the field or i could have external imagery where i'm visualizing this in like an outer body experience like i'm watching tv is that similar for you Stephen? in your directing you know when you're talking to cast and you're planning shots are you seeing things as if the viewer is seeing it from the tv or from the you know, visualizing it from the angles of where your cameras are going to be. 
Uh, that, that, that's a great question. I, I think it's a bit of both, but I also think it's, it's also knowing what else you're going to do with it. So on set, we have no sound effects, we have no music, we have we have no editing. So you you've got to you've got to know what else you're going to do to it. You've got to know that actually I'm going to play this shot really silently, and then suddenly, bam! There's a there's a noise or whatever. So you, you've got to know how to frighten people. You've got to you've got to realize how people connect to images and uh, an emotional stuff you know how, how many times do we see beautiful very emotional performances on outlander it's and how to capture those but also know, knowing how you can accentuate them and get the best out of them by adding music or or, or the way that you you film them so it's definitely having a point of view of being respectful of what the audience is seeing but knowing what else you're going to bring to it yeah. There's, there's definitely I could see uh, your genius, especially from watching uh, season five of Outlander, Steve. There was a, a fantastic. You've probably uh, seen the moment. I know Sean has, where a certain actor does a really, really funny comedic fall over drunk, um, and it's <laughs> it's right at the end of a beautiful montage at the end of the wedding. So uh, I, I I understand your genius. I can see what you're saying there. <laughs> That was at 3.29 in the morning on the 24th of April, 2019. I'll, I'll remember it. Because the last shot we did, we were running, we had two takes, and he, he absolutely nailed it. He's, he, was quite, he was quite good at falling over. I was going to say, <laughs> right? There's not a lot of, lot of acting needing needed for Kyle to fall over drunk at 3.29 a.m. in the morning. He's had plenty of practice of that. I hey, I'm an absolute professional and a, and a joy to work with, so I've been told. In fact, I would question whether he was acting. <laughs> it, was, it was just a live shoot, man, wasn't it? Just a live shoot. No, I was... Steven, it, sorry, go on. I want to link on because um, there is a rugby link here. And Tuesday Club, we talk entertainment world, showbiz, and obviously rugby. And uh, you're a former rugby player. You played for Oxfordshire County under 18s. Uh, you're a member of the Bram Bambury Club, where I've been and taken uh, Gloucester to play, actually, in the RFU Colts Cup. Uh, and you're a big, avid fan, obviously, watching um, a lot of rugby. You've got a mutual friend, Shane and I, Ridian John, who's a floor manager for SOC and BBC Wales. Great guy. Um, so, yeah, rug rugby's in you, really. I mean, do you get any time these days when the rugby is on to watch? Uh, I do. I, I, I haven't caught any of the, the start of the new season yet. Um, and I'm slightly biased more towards the international game than the club game, um, just because of time. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm there. I'm, I love it. It's in my blood. Um, and... Um, and you know, I spent a lot of time in my early part of in my apprenticeship, really, in in Cardiff. And um, so I spent. Ridian taught me how to drink, how to drink some more, and how to drink even more. Um, uh, you know, I was. Um, we used to call the halfway pub on Cathedral Road the, the job centre. <laughs> All, all the actors and the technicians used to go, and uh, uh, no, it'll stay with me for forever. I, I had a, an amazing time down there. Yeah, it is, and uh, you, of course, it'd be remiss of us not to relive the game you were at uh, in 1999 in Wembley, where Scott Gibbs crossed. We just left it for the fans till late, and Neil Jenkins kicked the kick. You were at that game, weren't you? 
I was at that game. I was at Wembley. I was a guest of my Welsh friend, Philip Gould. There's a pink in um, there. Look, of Scott Gibbs going over the line for oh, that try. Look at that. Does oh, that bring back any memories, Steve? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> hey, guys, did you take it off my wall? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I took a, a few things missing, man. I took a few of your DVDs, that's all. <laughs> my shirt's gone. But, but whatever everybody forgets is that it was a home game for Wales. Uh, and that, that was the incredible thing. And so I was with a bunch of, uh, of, of, of Welsh friends and uh, it was an amazing atmosphere, an incredible. And that just, was it Rodber who missed the tackle? Yeah. Yeah. It was a few in the end, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a sort of four or five pinter before, before you got into the stadium. And then, then you could just feel this sort of desire from the crowd that wouldn't it be good today if we beat them at Wembley (laughs) and it was right at the end it was right at the end of Wembley's existence you know as it was and uh, oh what a day it was it was amazing it was amazing I think everyone remembers that day don't they and where they were um uh, that that that, se- that season was my first season well my first proper season with with Neath my first professional contract and I remember where I was. I was in the cross keys with my friends. And I remember Scott going over. I do remember, even though we were a couple of beers in. But I remember Scott going over the line. We all jumped in the air to celebrate. And we all sat back down. We were all hugging each other. And I turned around. And my friend was still standing up. And he was really pale. And what had happened, he'd impaled himself on the coat hanger. On the <laughs> wall of the cross keys. Oh, True no. story. True story. And, and that's how we remember. So we literally had to kind of hook him back off it, sit him down, put a beer in his hand, and kind of wipe the blood away. <laughs> he, he didn't go home anyway, put it that way. You've got well, to celebrate it, a win. You've got to celebrate a win. Well, uh, we, um, we carried on uh, drinking, and we went to uh, Swiss Cottage where my friend... Phil lived, and he had some great friends opposite. And uh, at about 11 o'clock at night, he said, hey, boys, let's get camouflaged and go and knock on their windows. <laughs> so at 11 <laughs> o'clock in the evening, we were crawling along and just knocking on their windows just to scare them. Uh, and then they came out and we had a drink, but it was fun. That's a standard night after a few beers, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so, so in terms of rugby and, and, uh, and uh, you know, Bad badges of honour and drinking, you know, Ridian also, I worked with Ridian um, on uh, We Are Seven, and we filmed in Tregaron, or near Tregaron, we filmed in Tlandewi Brevi, uh, and during, you know, 1988 and 1990, when Wales was dry in the West, um, and on the Sundays, you know, sometimes we were working six-day weeks, and Sundays we were locked in from midday to, to midnight, and I've had Stephen Spears, David Howell, Robert Pugh, Rudy and John, Intragaran, properly entertaining uh, 30 or 40 crew and cast members all day Sunday. Um, it, it, it was a 1930s shirt. So Tlandewi Brevi was all decked out, all the shop fronts we made. And on one Monday morning, one of the crew members had changed the K from Master Baker to a T, and we filmed on it all morning. <laughs> George, can I just can, can I just can... say, Steve? I I know David Howell. Uh, he is from my village. 
and there's not oh. one person in this village that will drink with David Howell. So I, I'll take my hat off to you because he can put them away, let me tell you. <laughs> not even you, not even you, Shane. No, not even me, not even Fair me. Fair play to he, you. He, you know. he, is a, he is a legend from uh, from the Arna Valley, so um, I take my hat off to you. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I was young then. I was young then. <laughs> Obviously, you've got a lot of connections with Wales. Obviously, S3 being... Three Welsh men, me and Sean from Batolba, Shane from the Almond, Va- Almond Valley. It is the Almond Valley, yes. isn't it, Shane? Yeah. yeah, you're right, you're right. And uh, you met your wife uh, on a film that I love. Um, I, I'm, I don't know if you've seen it, Shane. Um, I know, Sean, you've probably seen it. What was it like shooting that film? Because I've seen it a million times. I used to watch it at my grandparents' house so much. Um, what was what was it like? What was your favourite job in Wales that you've done so far as well? Oh. Oh, I, I, yeah, I met my wife on The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill But Came Down a Mountain. Beautiful film. Again, I've worked on these films where the film unit sort of takes takes over these amazing Welsh villages. So that, that was taking over Clanrider on Mothman, just on the border up by Oswald Street. Beautiful, beautiful place. And we were there for eight weeks, and we had Hugh Grant, and we had uh, Tara Fitzgerald, um, and, we, and Hugh Grant. I was the second assistant director on it, and and there were no computers, there were no mobile mobile phones. We had to have two hundred extras a day. You had to build this hill right up the top of them to make it bigger, so it became a mountain. And so I had this book, and I just had the whole of the local community saying, "Right, I'll be an extra tomorrow. I'll be an extra tomorrow." And we used to stick the notice on the notice board in the, in the middle of the village and say, "Right, be here at eight o'clock tomorrow morning." We used to dress them and then. Plus everybody at the hair. It was a it was an amazing job, and uh, Hugh Grant had just done uh, four weddings and a funeral. And one weekend, the deal was that we had to get him to America to um, to go and sign the deal for uh, the film Nine Months, which would be his big payday after four weddings and funeral. So I had to organise a helicopter to take him from the set on the Friday night. <laughs> that took him to Chester Airport. Chester Airport jet down to Heathrow. Heathrow Concord to New York, goes there, signs the deal, comes back, Concord, private jet, Sunday night, he arrives by helicopter in Clanrida and Mochland, and he said to us, you know, I've just signed, signed, signed the most amazing deal, and it was for millions. Um, uh, but the, again, when you're filming away, some of those jobs are such a sort of great company atmosphere. You get to know the village, you get to know the villages. If you go to the pub in Clanrider at the moment, now there are still, it's a 25 year anniversary last year. I couldn't go because I was filming with Kyle. Um, but <laughs> Make um, it sound like a burden. <laughs> <laughs> but there are still pictures of, of everybody. And, and again, Bob Pugh was uh, in the film um, and uh, he was uh, entertaining everybody. And there are still pictures on the walls of. Uh, of people's houses. I think there are some relationships that are still strong today. Um, I, w- I worked on the Oscar, Oscar-nominated film Here's Wind, which was shot up near Trasvanith, uh, up in the north, uh, and, and a bit in Tenby. We, we shot the we shot the, uh, the trench scenes in um, in, in Tenby. This is about Here's Wind, the poet who was killed in 1917 and was awarded a posthumous chair at the Eisteddfod. Um, and um, Kyle and, and I know Dr. Daniel Barrow, who's one of the writers at um, Outlander, and she's she's Welsh, and she burst into tears when she knew that I worked on that film because it's so special to to the sort of Welsh creative community, yeah. and it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece of piece of work. 
um, I, I worked on a BBC series called Lifeboat, and uh, we were we were filming out of um, St David's, beautiful, uh, with Brendan Gleeson and uh, and all sorts. Of, and every, every morning, two weeks of of every block, we had to film on the boat. So, so we used to just clip on to the side of the lifeboat, hangovers, straight down the ramp, hangover gone, but a bit of seasickness during the day. And, and we got called out. We were using the spare boats and we got we got called, called out to help with other events at sea. So we're filming away, proper drama, and then suddenly we have to go and pull a yacht out of your Sand dune. So, so you would have been going out, Steve, into Ramsey Sound, uh, down the ramp. Uh, I've got a business down there. It's fantastic, isn't it? There, there's a new lifeboat um, station and ramp just to the adjacent to it now. But you're right, because there's so many things happen. I was down there having a, a bit of a tour around Ramsey Island. The RNLI guys had a radio in. I was with my son. Um, a woman was stranded <laughs> over in New Gale. And they just turned and said, we got to go. And off we went, high speed, bombed it over the new gale. And I thought, oh, no, this this is going to be like a young surfer or whatever. It was this lady in her 70s. Right? She'd been um, windsurfing in new gale. <laughs> Taking her off, I shouldn't laugh, out <laughs> into sea, right? She was in real trouble, right? And when we got there, I was dragging her in. She was in her 70s. I like, what are you doing? You know, so well, you only get one chance to live, sweetheart. And that's you. <laughs> it was amazing. But they're, they're special people, those lifeboat guys, aren't they? Oh, they're amazing. And there's, there's the area of water by Ramsey Island called the Witches. Oh, the, 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 uh, bitches. the Bitches. The Bitches, not the Witches, the Bitches. Uh, it was amazing. I heard that you could buy the uh, old R- RLNI station where we filmed for one pound. Um, as long as you had to sort of renew it and make it a business and, and wow. keep the, the sort of history there. I heard the same thing about Margan Park once, that they were selling Margan Park for a pound, but nobody wanted to buy it because it was like two and a half million pounds upkeep a year. Is that yeah, true, Sean? That. Yeah. yeah. More I think than that, that was Swansea City as well, wasn't it? <laughs> Swansea City Football Club, yeah. And, <laughs> and then, then the, first, the first thing that I did down in 1985, the first thing I did down there... I was a runner, uh, and it, but it was at a time when HTV, there was quite a lot of money in HTV drama, and they did this link up with Disney, and, and there's two of us runners, and, and we're doing this return to Treasure Island with Brian Blessed, and, and at 18, we're taken to uh, Jamaica for two and a half months, we're taken to Spain for two and a half months, and then we ended the shoot, uh, shooting pirate boats off the Gower Peninsula, and uh, we had an old school in Barry Island where we created lots of interiors. But what an experience with a, with an amazing crew and cast. And that's where I first met all, all of those Welsh contacts. Sean, Sean, what's what's interesting there? It's a great story about Hugh Grant, and he, he's he's obviously a massive actor. In fact, you know, you're on about having to fly him in a helicopter, then a jet, and then a Concorde. Sean used to do the same for Sean uh, for Gavin Henson when he played the Ospreys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only Gav, yeah. though. And, and, yeah. and post-2008, when you became World Player of the Year, you became a little bit more important then. Oh, yeah, you got me a taxi up to, uh, to Cardiff. One day, <laughs> that's, right, that's right. Kyle <laughs> gets Ubers. Kyle gets Ubers to outland the sets. Do you know, Hugh, Hugh Grant <laughs> actually follows me on Twitter, and I have no idea why. 
So oh, he's a I've fan. Never met he's a fan. I'd love to meet him. He's a he's a top top guy. I heard it was you who taught him that dance in uh, that Love Actually film, mate. You know, through the through the <laughs> for the number ten. You know, we, we were talking about this dance. the other day. Who grandpa? Um, Evander Holyfield follows me on Twitter. Fantastic. Yeah. That's mad. Uh, yeah, you know. Speaking of speaking of very famous people, and, and another link into rugby, there you bought a very famous English rugby player's house, didn't you, Steve? Yeah, I did. I did. Two thousand and one. Um, uh, me and my my wife had both had properties in in sort of North Kensington and just just west of the the expensive bit of Labrock Grove and all of that. Um, and we combined. We just got married, and we combined our two flats. And um, we trying to get a slightly bigger property, and she sees this property and she she says, "You've got to see it." And I'm working on a I'm working on a TV series of State of Play, which is where I met David Yates, who's the, the director of all of the Harry Potters. I was his first assistant director, and the only time I can do it is seven o'clock in the morning on a December morning to go and view this property. And she, she's been in there, and my wife has no idea who she's dealing with. So I knock on the door at seven o'clock in the morning and this man mountain silhouette opens the door and I'm looking, I'm looking up at him and I, I realise who it is. It's Lawrence Delalia. And he's very sweetly, he's, he's got his family up and he's, he's given me the full tour around. It's a very tiny terrace house. He definitely outgrown it. Uh, and what was interesting, what was interesting without giving too much, personal information away, but it was fascinating. Up the stairs was just boxes and boxes and boxes of gear, of, of Nike stuff, of socks, of, of England training stuff, of just the amount of stuff that must be delivered weekly was incredible. Uh, and then he, he showed me what he was up to that day. Uh, and it, it sort of took my breath away. It was a it was a letter of engagement for training for the RFU, and it was so formal. So it was, Mr. Dalio. Today we will be doing an ice bath, and then we'll be doing fifty burpees, and then we'll be doing some uh, <laughs> hand coordination, and then we'll be doing some back row special plays, and and then we'll be doing some sprint work, and then we'll have another ice bath, and it was laid out so accurately. I, I mean, this is this is why we were so good in those days, because we were organised. <laughs> was this, is this signed with a quill as well? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yeah. so, so I, I sat at nine o'clock in the morning, I sat on Lawrence Delalio's ex-sofa, um, watching that wonderful day in, in Sydney, 2003. Uh, so it was a very, it was a lovely connection. All, all I can say is, Aren't you lucky you bought it before 2003? Because it would have gone up in price, wouldn't it, surely? <laughs> probably, probably. World yeah. Cup winner. You had a bargain there. You had a bargain. <laughs> and, and Shane nearly scuppered your sitting down and watching the World Cup final in 2003. Oh. He nearly did. <laughs> <laughs> what a strange connection, man. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I nearly forgot about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> And and then I've I've got something that I wanted to show you, um, and um, this is from this another show in Wales that I did. I was the second assistant director on this film called Old Scores, which was this fictional 
uh, fictional story of, 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 a, of a, a game that had to be replayed between uh, Wales and New Zealand. And, and somehow we got, you know, we got 12 of the great 1970s Welsh team and, and five or six of the All Blacks. And, and I witnessed, you know, Gareth Edwards passing to Barry John for the first time in 13 years. JJ Williams, Gerald Davis, the Pontypool front row. And I was dealing with them every day. I was the one who had to ring them and give them their call and make sure they got in the cars and got them onto the set. Riddy and John was the first AD. And so he was he was specking them up in terms of the uh, all, all the rugby moves and everything. Um, and it was a joy. It was an absolute joy. And at the end of it, my memento was this. And this is... I think this is a good, a good claim to for Phil Bennett's last ever shirt that he he wore as a Welsh player. Uh, you can just see the costume oh. people have put Phil Bennett in there. Uh, so it's very very special, and it will be framed. Uh, but I, I, I've actually worn it a couple of times when I've been support, supporting Wales. Why why weren't you wearing um, it that day on set when I had my Welsh jersey underneath John Quincy Myers' costume? We were playing Ireland. Okay, you know, you, could... you, you didn't have a Mate, there was a day we were shooting some scenes and Wales were playing Ireland and obviously there's a few few of us on set were all rugby fans. You got some South Africans there, Irish, you know, all, all over. And um they all like, Oh, who's who's winning Carl? And it was um I think it was the warm ups, I think it was, and we were playing Ireland in the warm up. And uh I had to wear my jersey underneath John Quincy Myers and I had to hide it so nobody knew and not even the costume girls knew. Um, the costume department didn't know uh, because if they would, they wouldn't have let me go on with it. But I got away with it. I think I don't even think Stevens just found out right now. <laughs> I know, but the, but the, the the previous summer when I did the end of episode four, uh, series four, uh, during the the football World Cup, I I wore an English shirt every time we played on set, and I only let them know at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'd finished filming by then. <laughs> uh, Steve, that old scores um, is it's a cracking watch for somebody of my sort of uh, age coming from Wales because when in the earlier scenes you get to see Windsor Davis, so as well as Phil Bennett and Barry John Gareth Edwards, you get to see Windsor Davis, a hero of mine. You know, I only got a look at Windsor Davis and I laugh. Plays a great part in it. And obviously, is that remake, uh, replay of the 1966 game between the All Blacks and Wales. And then I won't spoil the ending for anybody who goes back on YouTube where you can see the full uh, replay. But uh, there's, a, there's a catch at the end and all the players hug and so on. But I wanted to ask, you know, particularly with Shane on the show, you know, is there is there room out there in Hollywood, the movie world, uh, for another or a different rugby movie we've had Invictus it was replayed in the week obviously remake of South Africa winning the 95 World Cup is that a big enough story or a big enough appetite for it for another rugby film do you think I, I think there is uh, um, without a doubt but you just got to find that personal you've got to find that personal story whether it's whether it's something slightly South Pacific based and European based whether it's Jonah Lomo yeah, absolutely. Hey, The Rock. The Rock is Joan Loom. Yeah. Hey, just call it Loom. <laughs> as long as you're directing and there's a part in it for me, I don't mind who it's about. That's all I'm saying. Who are you going to be? Adam Jones. Well, I'll be Adam Jones. I'll grow the beard back. I'll get a wig on. Top. There we are. Lovely Japanese. We're about the same size. 
<laughs> I, just, just to let you know before you start filming, I have um, done a bit of acting myself. Um, however, if you need someone like Danny DeVito or someone to play me, I can have a word as well. So just let me know, okay? Fantastic. You, we, you're, you're booked. You're hired. We, we'll send yeah. you over all their CVs, Steve. Right? Thank Listen, thank you thank so you. much, Steve, for coming on. We are running out of time. I think we've got less than a minute now. But I just want to say massive, massive thank you for coming on the Tuesday Club with me, Sean, and Shane. It's been a pleasure to have you. And it's been wonderful to see your handsome face. And I'm so glad you're well and all the family's well. And you're busy. And I hope to see you at some point in the next year. Thanks for asking me. Pleasure to be here and lovely to meet you all. Right, lovely. That's us on the Tuesday Club for another week. You can join us next week with myself and Sean and Shane. We will be here with another fantastic guest. Over and out. See you later. Bye. Wheels. <laughs> <laughs>